tell you, uh, I had a, I had an experience though. Was just uh, the kind of stuff you just don't see in Disney. One time with an eagle, and I'll tell you, you know, right, right from the start, is that eagles are not what you think they are. I mean, <laughs> first of all, they're a bird, and I don't know whether you know anything about birds, but they're a bird. And uh, birds ain't too smart in a lot of ways. On the other hand, uh, uh, birds have other habits. So, uh, nevertheless, where I ran into this eagle story, I'll tell you, this, this one day, I'm walking along the main street of Nome, Alaska. Now, the main street, actually, that's damn near the only street of, of uh, Nome, Alaska. Nome, for all of its fame, you know, you hear about Nome all the time. You, everybody knows the name Nome, and they keep thinking of this, you know, it's a place. Uh, I would suspect that of all the cities that are world-known, and Nome is one of them, there's been a lot of literature written about Nome and so on, going back to Service, Robert Service and so forth. But Nome is probably the smallest world-known habitation of any place in the world. In other words, uh, every other place that you know of uh, is big. I mean, Paris, uh, Rome, Bangkok, you name them. See, there's Nome right there in the middle of the world cities, but it's roughly uh, roughly the size of your average uh, food fair supermarket. That's about the size of Nome. <laughs> it's got a street, and uh, there's these little houses, uh, little white uh, sort of weather-beaten houses along the main street there. And uh, that's about it. You walk along the main street, and the big argument when I was in Nome was whether or not they were going to pave the main street. The main street was gravel. So... Uh, there was a lot of people who felt that uh, with the advance of civilization, God knows what would happen to Nome if they paved the main street. Can't you just imagine this entire crowd from uh, White Plains suddenly descending on Nome just because they paved the main street? Well, <laughs> that's what they were afraid of. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm walking along the main street, seeing you know, Eskimos going back and forth and all kinds of guys walking around, and it's very quiet. The wind is blowing. And uh, it's right on the Bering Sea. You've heard of the Bering Sea, I presume, right? Well, it's uh, it's a very quiet sort of a milky-looking sea. And uh, it's right on the edge of it. I don't mean there's a beach. I mean it's right on the edge of the sea there. There's a, there's a little strip of gravel. Because actually, it's not exactly what you would call a beach resort, Nome. Uh, <laughs> no way. Uh, the Bering Sea, I doubt whether the temperature of the water ever rises above maybe 36 something like that, and uh, during the winter, they don't even know how to measure it, it gets so low, but uh, the sun hangs in a cool, kind of milky way, it's not a warming sun, not in the sense of the sun that you're used to, and uh, there's a place there uh, where you go in and you have reindeer steaks, and well, that's the return of food, I looked up there, that's not considered exotic, it's just the food, you know, and uh, you order, they're, they're terrible, by the way, in case you think it would be kind of great to have a reindeer steak. A reindeer steak has about as much taste, I would say roughly, as a uh, Naugahyde hamburger. It, uh, and they're about the same consistency. It's quite tough, no taste whatsoever, and uh, you sit there and you pretend like you're enjoying reindeer steak. Because uh, man always spends a lot of time pretending whenever he's on the outskirts of civilization. He does. Uh, the British... Uh, were noted for this when the British uh, spent their time in the far reaches of Burma, in the jungle. What would the British do? Well, they would pretend they were still in Mayfair. They would dress for dinner. Now, uh, if dinner consisted of uh, half a can of pemmican and uh, maybe a little kerosene to wash it down, nevertheless, they dressed for it. They pretended that, you know, that everything was going fine. 
And uh, this is what man always does, no matter where he goes. And so you pretend a lot when you're in no. And uh, the wind blows in off the ocean. It's not really an ocean. It's really kind of a sea. Uh, what is the difference between an ocean and a sea? Well, sea is smaller than an ocean. A sea is halfway between a lake and an ocean, really. And uh, over there across the uh, sea, very uh, in, the, in the milky horizon, is Russia. That's where how far it is from here. If you think Nome uh, is a kind of a place you'd like to visit, well, you might as well say I'd like to visit Siberia. It's about that far. It really is. It's, it's 40 miles across over there is Russia. So uh, you're, you're really in a foreign country. And uh, walk along the street there one day, and I go into this bar, which is about the only thing you can go into in, in Nome. Uh, they have two kinds of places in Nome, bars and churches and hovels. Now, uh, you, 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 you uh, really split your time between the hovels and the bars and the churches, <laughs> is what it is. The radio station, for example, locally, there's a couple of radio stations. One is completely religious, and uh, it's, uh, you know, groups of uh, Eskimo children singing hymns is the big show for the day. And I don't know why, and it sounds romantic, but it isn't really as romantic as it sounds. You know, that's, the, that's another sad uh, fact of man. And a lot of things sound a hell of a lot better than they are. And, uh, yes, you know, Ray Bradbury writes the Martian Chronicles. God, he made Mars sound like a fantastic Eden that somehow had declined and man came and despoiled it. Well, uh, astronomy has proved that's a fallacy, total fallacy. Uh, the, the surface of Mars, like maybe 800 degrees, it is pitted with nothing but potash and uh, holes in the ground and it's blasts of hot air blow over it endlessly. So it's hardly what uh, Bradbury thought it was. But that again, it's part of man. You know, he likes to romanticize things. So you're romanticizing out there now about uh, about Gnome. Of course, that's, that's your prerogative. But it doesn't have much to do with Gnome itself. Uh, so don't think that your romanticism has much to do with the real thing. It's just a little town. And... Uh, if, if that same little town was in Jersey, you wouldn't go within 50 miles of it. And it's quite similar to the same little town in Jersey. There's a bunch of guys squatting around driving used Chevys. Well, and that's a sad fact. Uh, they were very proud of their stop sign. They had one stop, not a stop light, a stop sign. It said stop. And uh, I was driving this Jeep, and I drove up to the, to the sign, and it said stop. And I stopped. And uh, they're very careful to have a cop that does nothing but watch that sign to make sure you stop there because that shows you're a civilized country. Uh, you have traffic. And so I stopped and I looked around and there was nothing. I could see the Bering Sea off to my right and I could see the tundra off to my left and I waited for something to pass. And finally I put the car in gear and I made the right turn into Main Street. And I went down and I parked the, the, the Jeep. And for those of you who don't know much about the kind of temperatures they have there, that most of the cars are lined with wolf skin. Uh, if you take a Jeep now, you know what Jeep's like. Uh, Jeep is an open car, basically, although they have side curtains that run on the side of them. But, you know, in the winter, it, the wind blows like Billy be damned up there, see, and it's also a very mean wind. If you think <laughs> New York has bad climate, you ought to spend a lot of it. <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, summer in Nome is maybe 15, 20 minutes. All the rest of the time, you're digging out or you're being buried, one or the other. It's, a, it's, a, it's an in-between situation there. So 
Uh, around the edges of the windows of the jeeps, they have strips of wolf fur, that uh, not for decoration, but to keep the wind and ice out. Now, why wolf fur? Well, wolf fur is not like other fur. Uh, it does not uh, condense. You cannot condense uh, things on it, and hence it does not freeze. So uh, that's why when you see people wearing uh, mucklucks and uh, they're wearing uh, uh, the Eskimo parka, you know, with the big fur rough around it, well, that is wolf fur uh, because it does not uh, condense, the breath does not freeze on it and all that, and it, it remains open like that. And it's a, it's a deterrent to wind, basically what it is. So anyway, I drive this car down. This is all beside the point. I drive into the bar there, and I squat down at the bar, and it's a long, dark bar. And the name of the bar, if you're curious about these details, was, uh, ironically, the Polar Bar. Now, that is a pun. And they implied it, and they wanted to be a pun, because out in front of the Polar Bar was a large, <laughs> a large white statue of a polar bear. And uh, I was in the, and it was not a tourist joint because <laughs> the three tourists that arrived in Nome over the last four years <laughs> did not go to the polar bar. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> when you get that far out of civilization, you ain't a tourist anymore. You're something else. So uh, right, uh, it's impossible to be a tourist in the Amazon jungle. Uh, you're not a tourist anymore. Because to get there, you've lost a lot of your illusions for starters, right, oh, right over there. You, you, you no longer walk around with an instamatic and a lady with blue hair taking pictures and buying a colorful, you know, colorful cobra skins from the natives. You don't do this. So, uh, nevertheless, I, I walk into the polar bar, and uh, before we go any further, uh, just as I walk into the polar bar wearing my parka, and everybody wears a parka, but you have to. It's summer or winter, they, you, you wear a nylon parka in case you're interested. Uh, they do not wear the skin parka. That went out about the time of Manuka the North. But what they do wear is these very colorful yellow and bright red and bright green uh, solid-colored parkas made of nylon with, uh, yes, no fur. You, you, no no uh, skin parka. You're way back in another world. That's like thinking that American Indians walk around Phoenix wearing uh, breech clouts. They don't. They walk around wearing Robert Hall suits, correct? All right. So why do you think that Eskimos squat around wearing uh, seal skin uh, uh, parkas? There's no way. In fact, the Eskimo that I had spent my week with was a, uh, was a, <laughs> was a graduate engineer from the University of Colorado. Who also, by the way, liked a little blubber now and again after dinner. He did. He, he, enjoyed, the, he enjoyed seal blubber. So you can't quite get away from your basic. <laughs> yeah, it's got a name, and I had a. It's a slightly rancid uh, uh, blubber. It's uh, it's seal fat, is what it is. It's not exactly my dish of tea, but they do wash it down with very hot, strong black tea with honey in it. In case you're interested, how they drink it, and uh, it's not exactly the kind of tea that you're used to getting in the elegant restaurants in New York. It's very gamey. Very, very strong, and they, they wash down the seal fat with it. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I walk into, into the polar bar there, and uh, the bartender is uh, walking around looking mad. And, uh, well, he said to me, I said, why are you looking mad? He says, well, uh, this is the second day. He says, well, what, are you, what, what business is yours? Remember, we're on the frontier. 
they do not know the niceties of when you talk to a bartender, say, at the plaza, you say, uh, excuse me, sir, what was that you said? It never would occur to a known bartender to say that. He'd say, what do you want? And you say, well, uh, how come you look so mad, Jim? Uh, you are living in what most people around New York would think would be a sylvan paradise. All right, you know what I guys. He said, uh, he said, you'd be mad too if every day all you had to do was throw out drunken Eskimos out at a bar. And uh, I says, well, I suppose I would ultimately uh, get a little cynical about that because uh, it's what he had to do all the time. So, and this is not an anti-Eskimo remark. I'm just telling you what I hear. I don't make the news. So I sit down at the bar. And he says, what'll it be? I says, give me an Oli. Now, uh, that's a common drink up there. But I did actually see a a, uh, a, a drunken Eskimo named Elmer. His name was. He was sitting down at the end of the bar there. And he jumped, suddenly jumped up, broke in a coop, and staggered down through the through the polar bar to the end, and they had a piano down there. Now, it sounds a lot more colorful than it was. It, it, it really wasn't that colorful. I've often wondered, you know, how much writing has colored our idea of what the world is? Because writing would make this sound really great, but this is what happened. Here's this this guy. He looked like any other bum, you, you know, but he just happened to be an Eskimo. So he jumps up and he staggers down, sits down at the piano, and starts to play. Clang, 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 clang. And he's just California, here I come, blah, blah, And he's drunk in a coop. And Jim says, he says, Elmer, stop it. And Elmer stopped playing. And he says, he's been coming in here 20 years, and I never knew he could play the piano. <laughs> What's your great line? He's been coming in here 20 years, I never knew he could play the piano. <laughs> and at that point, he was thrown heavily out into the street, and that ended that incident. Not before, however, I had been told that the day before that, he had stolen the state cop's coat. The cop came in for a drink, hung his coat in there. And he was seven feet tall as cop. You know, it's a state coat, the cop suit, a coat. You know, it's a great big gray suit, coat with blue piping all over it, with a big badge, and well, it had the brass buttons. I mean, it's a state cop's coat. And Elmer, on the way out, lifted it. Well, you know, at that point, uh, five minutes later, the cop comes back into the bar and he says to the bartender, he says, "Listen, he says, you tell." He said, I know who took my coat. I know who took my coat. He says, you tell him that that coat is not back here by noon tomorrow. I'm going to put him and his entire clan and all of his friends. They are going to be cooling their heels so long that they won't even remember what the sun looked like. And 20 minutes later, the coat suddenly magically reappears. seems that Elmer had sold it to a friend of his who was thinking of making it into a tent. Now, uh, I mean, you know, this is the way life is in Elmer. So anyway, I'm sitting there in, in the bar, and this is where I heard the Great Eagle story. I sit down, and uh, Jim's looking mad, and he says, what do you have? And I said, I have an Ole. And he says, you want, you want the full-size Ole or the little one? I says, give me an Ole. And he says, okay, and he gives me the big Ole. Now, what is an Ole? Well, an Ole is, is their term for Olympia beer. There is a beer up there, which uh, they all get, and it, it's made in Washington State, and it comes up there, and it's, it's the beer. You call it an Ole. It's called Olympia. So uh, I'm drinking the Ole there. I'm looking around, dark, all by myself in this place. They've thrown Elmer out, and uh, I'm the only guy in the place. And suddenly, 
Jim says, hey, he says, you, you know, he says, you, you, would you like a real souvenir of Alaska? I said, not particularly. I said, I got my, I got my Zippo lighter that says Alaska on the side of it. That's enough for me. And then here it is, by the way, in case you're curious. <laughs> it says Alaska. <laughs> he said, no, no, you want a real one? I said, well, what, what do you got in mind, Jim? He said, well, I got, I got real problems. He said, uh, uh, before I tell you the story, he says, you won't laugh, will you? And I said, no, I don't laugh. I don't laugh at nothing, Jim. And he says, I don't either. And so we're sitting there quietly. He said, I'll tell you the story. He says, would you like to have an eagle? How about taking an eagle back? That would be fantastic. Now, how, wouldn't that be fantastic in New York to have your own eagle? I said, well, uh, what's the story of the eagle, Jim? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not so sure that would be such a great idea, but, you know, I'm willing to listen. What the hell, I'm open. And after all, it's afternoon in Nome, and there's nothing else to talk about, so let's hear your story. So he says, well, I'll tell you. He says, I got this damn eagle. I said, what kind of eagle is it? He said, it's a golden eagle. Now, that's some eagle. I don't know whether you've ever seen a golden eagle. A golden eagle makes a bald eagle look like a sparrow. This is about twice the size of a bald eagle, and it's a rare eagle, and it's a biggie. Oh, it's a biggie. I said, you got a golden eagle? He says, oh, man, what problems. He said, I'll tell you what happened. He said, I, I was out, he says, about two years ago. He says, I'm driving way the hell out about 17 miles. They have a, an area. See, everything out there is measured by miles. And 17 mile means out the highway, he's at about the point where they call 17 mile. 15 mile, 18 mile, 16 mile. They don't say I was out driving through Passaic. They said I was out around 17 mile, which meant that he was out on that highway that went into the tundra at the 17 mile mark. He said, I'm driving out there, and he said, uh, he said I see this thing flopping around in the weeds, and he said, I, I, I pulled up and I stopped because this is a tundra area there. He says, I stopped, and he says, and by God, he says, there's this eagle, and uh, he's got a bad wing. So like a damn fool. He says, I said, yeah, I, I said to my wife, he says, yeah, I said, to, uh, you know, uh, poor eagle, I ought to do something about it. So I picked the eagle up, and I took it back to the house. Now, he lives in this place in uh, Nome there, you know, it's just a little shack, like all of them are in Nome. He says, he drives back, and he takes the eagle, and uh, the eagle, of course, uh, sitting in the back of the jeep there squawking. He takes the eagle back and gives him some liver or whatever it is you give an eagle. This was, at this point, a young eagle. He's fairly young. He gives him some some fish and some uh, some liver and stuff, and the eagle gallops it down and, and uh, sits around and looks kind of... And it was cold, see? That's another thing, see? He said, it was kind of cold out. So he says, what I did, he said, I decided that since this young eagle was a uh, hurt, you know, it was a bad wing there, that uh, I'd leave him stay in the house for a while. So he said the eagle... Uh, squatted around in this box in the kitchen, and, and uh, we kept giving him the, we kept giving him this uh, liver and stuff, and he kept, you know, eating it, and he got healthy and healthy. And all of a sudden, one day, he's, you know, he's really a nice big eagle. He said, now he is taken to sitting on the back of our couches. He says, now I don't know whether you know anything about a golden eagle. He says he's got talons on him; they're about 14 inches long. Well, he simply has ripped my couch up to nothing. You ought to see that couch. He says, you think a, a cat can rip up a couch? He says, there's nothing but bare springs. And the eagle is sitting on the back of the couch all the time. And more than that, he says, you have no idea what kind of elementary track eagles have got. He says, it's unbelievable. He says, eagles are constantly, uh, well, he said, all I got to say. He said, it was just just tremendous scene. He said, and so finally the eagle, big, he says, the eagle is in great shape now. And he's sitting on the back of the couch all the time. And every time I'd come in the house, the eagle would squawk. Ah! 
And he said, so finally I says, okay, it's spring now, Eagle. You're going to go out and live on the garage. So he took him out and put him on the top of the garage. And the Eagle sat on the garage now. And he says, Eagle seemed to take it. He said, the Eagle went out, sat on the garage. We went out and gave him the stuff to eat. And he'd sit on the edge of the garage and walk around. He'd walk on the roof of the house. And he'd look in the window. He says, he'd come over and he'd look right in the window at us because he remembered when he lived in the house, you know. He'd look in the window and he'd look at us with a kind of reproachful eye. I said, what the hell did I do? How come I'm living on the garage? Nobody else is living it. Why me? And he says, so, you know, the wife would get a little soft about it. So one day I said, look, look, the eagle's better, right? Let's take the eagle out and let him go. You went, we saw the movie Elsie, you know, or Elsa, whatever that was, we took, where they took the lion back. Let's take Herman back out into the wild. His name was Herman. So they put him in the Jeep, and he says, I drove him back out to 17 miles. And sure enough, he says, the eagle looked around, he flapped his wings, and he took off, and he made this great big circle, and he was squawking. I said, oh, how beautiful. He is back in the wild now where he can be a true eagle. So he says, we turned around, we drove back, we drive into the back of the house. Who's sitting on the garage but Herman? Herman? They fly more faster than my Jeep. He's back. Well, that whole summer, he said, I got worrying about this, and I figured, well, maybe I didn't take him far away enough. He says, and so one time this friend of mine is a bush pilot down here. He flies out of the airport. I gave him Herman. I said, Herman, take Herman out to the White Horse Territory. Now, that's way the hell out. That's, that's the Yukon, see. So he says, you put him in the back of the Stinson, and he says, he takes him out to the Yukon Territory. This is about 395 miles away, or 500,000 miles away. And he says, the guy dropped him off, and he turned around in his Stinson. He said, would you believe it or not? Herman beat him back. Herman's airspeed was was faster in the Stinson. And he says, on top of that, Herman takes now to hanging on the eaves, looking upside down at us, and every time we eat, he yells. I said, well, where is Herman today? He said, well, he's hanging on the eaves right now. He says, my wife's home making a meatloaf, and Herman is hanging on the window, looking in and hollering. He wants some of the meatloaf. So how'd you like to take an eagle? He says, I figure if you take him to New York, he won't be able to fight his way back to Nome from New York. I said, I'm not so sure of that. It certainly is. And uh, Eagle fans, that's the truth of it. Eagles are just like anybody else. They can be bought. Little meatloaf, little liver at the right place. And what's the eagle? He's like anybody else. He's like a hand up, a little welfare there. And he's hanging upside down, looking in the dining room window, squawking. Here comes no noble bird. And this is our national emblem. Oh, well. Maybe that's pudding, you know. Who knows? That's a golden eagle, Christ. That's a different kind of eagle. That's even a more high-class eagle than the bald eagle. Let's face it. I mean, in the hierarchy of eagles. Hierarchy? You heard that? Hierarchy. That's a Greek name, isn't it? Orestes Hierarchy? At this restaurant on 40th Street. Yeah, I remember the place. Lusaka. And that concludes tonight's salute to Chris Schenkel. Tomorrow night we salute Robert Goulet. What do we deal with the great men of our time? Me, me, Ed McMahon, all of them.